My name is Alice. I worked for the Umbrella Corporation at a secret high-tech facility called The Hive. A giant underground laboratory developing experimental viral weaponry. But there was an incident. The virus escaped and everybody died. The trouble was, they didn't stay dead. Welcome to Now Playing's retrospective series of Resident Evil. You're all going to die down here. Hosted by Player One, Justin. That's right. Star power, bitches. Player Two, Stuart. Congratulations. You're officially a badass. And Player Three, Arnie. They're stars. They're the best. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a Resident Evil movie review, leading up to Resident Evil, the final chapter. You are going to be in for the fight of your lives. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, mild language, and zombie dogs. This is humanity's last stand. The beginning of the end. Listener discretion is advised. Waiting for a written invitation. Today we're discussing Resident Evil, the final chapter. Starring Mila Jovovich, Ali Larder back again, Sean Roberts, Ruby Rose. Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. This is Arnie, and this is my podcast. This is the end of my podcast. History is written by the victors, but Resident Evil is written by a loser. Stuart in LA. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Justin. Glad to be here for the final chapter. I'm sure. It is. It's the culmination. I was excited. I gotta say, you put Guns N' Roses in a trailer. I'm gonna get excited. I've seen them in concert recently because they reunited. I'm seeing them again in just a couple months. Guns N' Roses, ass-kicking zombies. I was really hyped for this movie and that's why we're even discussing it (laughs) it is it is because arnie is enthusiastic about this franchise that we are here to talk about a weekend of release of a part six doesn't happen that often um i feel like the craze has ended honestly a lot of crazes have ended zombies are not as hot as they used to be i mean fear of the walking dead or people watching that show Z Nation, Pride and Prejudice, and Zombies. I don't feel like anything since World War Z has really made the genre innovative or taken it to a new level. The one that I can come up with is Train to Busan. Have you guys heard of this Korean film? No. It was a big blockbuster in Asia. It's just getting a, a release here in America, and it's basically World War Z, but done with practical effects. All that swarming stuff are like acrobats, and it all takes place on a train instead of that air. It's like that airplane sequence in World War Z, only on a train with a Korean businessman who's really callous and learns to 
be kind in a crisis. It's it's a bit cheesy and melodramatic, but I really did enjoy some of the action scenes, and it's a movie that I can recommend. I think you're probably right, Stuart. The zombie craze is not on the uptick right Mm-mm. now. We're probably on the downhill slide of that as we speak. Everything has its time, and I don't know. It came to be after 9-11. We'll see if they may have a resurgence. World War Z 2 is coming out. I guess, what do you call that? World War Z 0? I mean, if you're going... Out- ASCII code, but... Well, zero right now because they can't find a director to take the project over. We'll see if it's coming. (laughs) But this has never been a zombie franchise, has it? This has been an action franchise with zombies as any nameless monster. I mean, when we left the last movie, what were there? Dragons and dogs and creatures unnamed, the giants with the axes. We're a long way from Romero here. Yeah, it's a video game movie. And by the way, I did see Assassin's Creed. I uh, did get a free ticket. I figured, what's the harm of sitting through a a free movie and maybe it'll help me assess this subgenre that can video games be real movies? I'll give the movie one compliment. They really did try to be a movie first and an action video game sequence later. They really wanted to... It was almost like Clockwork Orange, believe it or not. It was about this unrepentant killer who they're trying to condition into being calm. But of course, it's made for people that like violent video games. So guess what? They don't succeed. It ends up being a, a whole lot of trouble to try and get an apple. I Honestly, it's, it's sort of a silly quest, but it wasn't horrible. And if this movie today could meet that standard, I may have given it a green arrow. And I'm going to start off by giving this movie a slam. I have really praised the last two films. Yes, I even found some praise in the last film for Anderson and his cinematography's use of 3D. And I went all out. I saw this opening night, 7 p.m., pre-ordered my ticket so I could be sure I got one, went to IMAX 3D. And I'm sitting there through this movie like, this 3D is awful. What the fuck is going on? This is a post-conversion job. Mm. It's the first time... I was wondering. I did as well. I went IMAX 3D because I figured that was the best way to appreciate what the movie had to offer. If it is only mindless spectacle, then make that spectacle big. But I actually feel like that's a problem. I'm going to say right off the bat, if you do see this movie, do not see it on a really big screen. (laughs) Well, I I would disagree, but I, I enjoyed the screening, but man... I took the glasses off at one point because, you know, seeing how blurry it is is a good measure of how much 3D you're supposed to see. It was blurry as hell, but I couldn't tell And when I put the glasses back on. And this is the same theater I saw Doctor Strange in and had amazing 3D, so... I saw it in 2D and a lot of the action was blurry anyway. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Well, we're going to talk about that because I think that has less to do with 3D and more to do with the editing, but I'll save my thoughts on that. Till we get into the movie. But Resident Evil, it's having a moment, right? There's a media blitz. We're all so super hyped. Your theaters were jam-packed with people because there's a new video game, Resident Evil 7. There's a new animated movie coming, Resident Evil Vendetta. There's all these marketing ties, and Mia is all over the place pushing this film. Huge opening, right? We barely got tickets. According to Variety, this movie did earn a very solid $1 million 
on previews, which is, you know, it's not Doctor Strange numbers, but a million dollars is solid. But I do think at my theater, everyone was home playing Resident Evil 7. I'm hearing nothing but amazing things for that game. But (laughs) I posted to Facebook, I was literally the only person in my theater until the trailer started. One other person came in and sat in the very far back. So he and I were like both had our choice seats. I'm Thank God it's not like the one movie I saw where there was one other person and he sat right next to me because I had a good seat. And then a couple with a baby came in and the baby cried for most of the movie. (laughs) Oh, come on. This is damaging to your child's hearing, by the way. If you take an infant to IMAX with its bass, not good for ears. (laughs) Was this opening night? Opening night, Thursday night, 7 p.m. So the five of us in a 500-seat theater, we were 1% full to see Resident Evil. Wow. Yeah, I had a similar. I mean, I don't think my crowd was was over 20, both in age and in number. <laughs> it, my, my favorite thing was as I was buying this ticket, there was an older couple in front of me and the cashier was trying to explain what all the movies were. They were like, oh, this is about that. And Resident Evil, I think there's another one is what they said. I think there's another movie. I think it's a sequel. Well, they ended up buying a ticket, this old doddering <laughs> couple. They did walk out of the film before it was over. <laughs> So did the baby. I went to a Friday morning showing and, you know, because I couldn't go opening Thursday night. And I'll be honest with you. I, when I bought my tickets the night before around midnight online, I had my pick of seats throughout the entire theater. There might've been one or two other seats already taken at that point. And when I showed up, it was, it was pretty full. I'm not going to say full, full, but I mean, you know, 30 or 40 people there. And that time in the morning, that was, that was kind of shocking. Hmm. The children? (laughs) No. Upper middle age folks. Hmm. And I saw mine in a college town, and college is in session. This feels like if it's going to hit, it would hit with the campus crowd. There's two universities, Wesleyan and ISU, in the place I went. And they were certainly filling it up for Doctor Strange and Suicide Squad in that town. But this was as desolate as the populace in the movie. It's like this is what seeing a movie in a world where only 4,000 people exist is like. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I live in a very big metropolis, and maybe I picked the wrong theater. I mean, it is making money. There are people that are telling us that it is pulling in some kind of dollars, but to me, it looks like a terrible flop. It's going to push the franchise over $1 billion. Well, you're talking about adding up all their other yes. numbers. I yes, mean, that's... a billion Yeah, well, how close were they before this movie came out? I do feel like if it's getting a large infusion of cash, that cash, that currency is euros or, you know, it's coming from Asia. I I just don't believe that America cares about this series at all. Well, yeah, the weekend box office tended to agree. I mean, the movie already made... $64 $64 million overseas, but it opened fourth here in the U.S., $13 million, losing to the second weekend of Split. And so, yeah, really, Americans are done. This is the lowest opener for the franchise since the first film. Be that as it may, I'm not an investor. I'm not losing my shirt over it. So all I care about is being entertained. <laughs> Me too. That's all I want. But do we get that, Arnie? Get through that plot. I would like for this to be... A interactive plot summary, because there's a lot of exposition here that is dropped at two different points in the movie. I'm going to 
bring it up here as part of the plot summary. But guys, feel free to jump in. Mm. Oh, I'll be jumping in. Somebody get me a wrench. <laughs> I'm about to get medieval on its head. Oh, I thought that was a Mario joke. Video game, wrench, jumping in like the pipes. Whatever works. Resident Evil, the final chapter, picks up sometime after the end of Retribution. And you know that massively cool battle we were going to see? There were dragons and zombies and everything that got me pumped for part six. Mm. We don't get to see that. Yeah, I know, Arnie. You're always complimenting this as ending on a cliffhanger and they never refuse to back away. Actually, I think they never actually follow through on what they set themselves up to do. They, like, have an opening and then they just change their mind. Yeah, she was supposed to have superpowers and be fighting on the White House lawn. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> eh, we decided something different. Never mind. That happened. It just It just happened off screen. Yeah. Yeah. We're told that Wesker didn't really give her her powers back. He injected her with, what, a placebo? And what we're told setting up this movie is a retconning of the end. Because, remember, the entire last fucking movie was Wesker, like, Alice, I'm sitting on a monitor screen with my sunglasses, but we need to team up to save the world. And that's the whole reason she was broken out of that underground submarine pen by Ada Wong is because Wesker wanted her out, right? All lies. This should be called Resident Evil Retcon, is what this movie should be called. <laughs> Nothing what we saw before is actually what happened. Yeah. And... It also, the final chapter doesn't fit the naming title. They've always been one word. Why not just call it Resident Evil Finality or Finale or something? Why? Eh. All right. Why make it? Resident Evil, nothing else matters. Yeah, it seems that, though, Wesker led them all to the White House, and Ada Wong, Jill Valentine, Leon, and, hey, remember how important little Becky was to that last film? <laughs> all dead. Or they've gone off somewhere to live in camps throughout the world because there's still 4,000 people alive somewhere that we never see. <laughs> well, how'd they get out of Washington, D.C.? That was all a trap set by Wesker to kill Alice, who was already trapped in an underground pen before he let her out. <laughs> He's so clever. But the single sole survivor of this huge fight, which has left Washington, D.C. in ruins. I'm not sure if Paul W.S. Anderson is making some social commentary here. But no, the, you can always do that. You show a picture of the White House in flames, and there's always someone that's going to be like, yeah, that's where we're going. But the only survivor is Alice, with no superpowers, and yet still an ass-kicking martial artist. And, I mean, the world is pretty much fucked. See, Alice, played by Mila Jovovich, is again on the run and totally alone in a barren landscape. Never seen that before. Mm. <laughs> it's part six. I shouldn't complain about them going to the tropes. But this time she's contacted by the Red Queen, that little girl holographic AI. This time played by Ever Anderson, Jovovich's real life daughter. And now we know why they made this movie. <laughs> I've read a lot of interviews. They're trying not to push her too hard. They won't let her model. She has to work for it. She has to audition. <laughs> I'm sure that audition for her father was really one of the roughest to ever get. She's nine years old. She does a passable English accent, though. I'll give her that. Yeah, she wasn't bad. She's the best actress in this. Ooh. And she has the hardest job. She has to retcon the entire franchise <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> Everything you know is wrong even though once it was certainly right. 
<laughs> oh, they screw this up so badly. All right. Follow me on this one. Now the T-Virus was built by Professor James Marcus as a way to cure his daughter, Alicia, of progeria. You know, the aging disease that we saw in the Robin Williams movie, Jack. Now, I thought the T-Virus was made by Dr. Ashford so that his daughter could walk. But now, no, we have this new professor. Nothing else matters. It's going to be the (laughs) mantra of the movie. Should we just go ahead and spoil it, too? That, like, this is her father? I mean, it kind of is. It kind of is, and we'll get there. But Marcus discovers T-cells that cure Alicia and cure... Basically everything. They're looking at a world without disease, a world without infection. But it's a world with zombies, as it causes problems. And in fact, we find out there's a zombie that got off on a ski lift or something. (laughs) It's a gondola. (laughs) And worse, it didn't even cure Alicia. The effects wore off. (laughs) That's my favorite part. That is my favorite part. The cure-all that has the side effect of causing the zombie apocalypse actually didn't cure what it was supposed to. That's awesome. And so Dr. Isaacs. Now, do you guys remember Dr. Isaacs? This is why we do retrospective series, because I wouldn't have remembered Dr. Isaacs without it. He's that useless scientist from the third movie played by Ian Glenn. Yes. I do, but that's only because I recognize him from Game of Thrones. He's got a pretty big role there. Yeah, he spits out octopus tentacles in the third movie. Who is he in Game of Thrones? I'm watching that series. I don't recognize him. He is Khaleesi's right-hand man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Didn't recognize him. I I guess he doesn't have tentacles coming out of his mouth in Game of Thrones. It is hard to recognize him without the tentacles. Well, turns out he wasn't just a scientist. Remember when the Umbrella people were going to kill him at the orders of Wesker? Well... It turns out he's co-owner of Umbrella and Wesker's boss. And he and Marcus started this entire company. When Marcus was going to go public with the gondola zombie, Isaacs has him killed. And he takes custody of Alicia and custodianship of her half of Umbrella. Very Shakespearean. I kill the father, I adopt the daughter. Yeah, Shakespeare would be proud. (laughs) And Isaacs also creates the Red Queen to help him run the company and uses scans and the voice of little Alicia to do it. But Dr. Isaacs takes a leap of logic that I think would seem extreme if I hadn't already seen and loved Kingsman. With the threats of global warming, world overpopulation, nuclear war, Isaac thinks the best course of action is to release a controllable plague. Reboot! Yeah, rebooting the planet. Yeah, that's what he calls it. This one's going to wipe out all of humanity, but leave Earth's resources and infrastructure intact. So he presents this idea to Umbrella's high command. They don't call it the board or anything. It's the high command. And they're all for it. So they all go into cryogenic storage to sleep out the apocalypse. And remember how the zombie outbreak started with Spence trying to steal the T-virus and its cure to sell, and then he decided to toss a vial? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. That might not be how it began. I know. This is so painful. Well, actually, Stuart, I thought you'd be happy because when part two and part three happened, you're like, how did the zombie outbreak go? How did it get out of that hive the first time? How did it spread so far? We're told here the T-virus was actually spread by Umbrella. So is it when Spence did his thing at the same time Isaacs was doing something else? I don't know. But Umbrella orchestrated this to kill everyone on Earth. And now there's only 4,472 humans left on the entire planet. 
7 billion dead. Think about that. 4,000. That is... It's almost not worth saving. Yeah, yeah. You're pretty much gone at that point. <laughs> Literally, if the movie theater where I had seen this film was packed, the population of that movie theater is all that's left. Oh, imagine finding a suitable mate with those odds. <laughs> On the other hand, it's a target-rich environment because they don't have a lot of picks either. <laughs> But in 48 hours, those last 4,400 humans will be killed. Unless there is an antivirus. We've been going back and forth. Is there, isn't there, is there, isn't there. There most certainly is. And it's airborne, but it's stored back in the hive. If Alice can get it and set it free, I guess they'll consider 4,000 humans alive a victory. But apparently it's also going to kill Alice as she had been infected with the T-virus or something. The Red Queen wants to help Alice, but she can't go against Umbrella Orders, so she can only point Alice in the right direction. So Alice heads to the wasteland that is Raccoon City, but along the way she's captured by Dr. Isaacs. He's not only here in flashback, but it was his clone that died in Part 3 and turned into that tyrant monster. I'm just, my blood is boiling, just as you're describing this movie. It makes me so angry. And now he's a religious fanatic. <laughs> and homicidal but intent on finding out who told alice about the antivirus alice of course escapes and makes her way to the outskirts of raccoon city where she's again captured this time by a small group of humans holed up by in a ruined high rise there she's reunited with the only actress that will return to the franchise claire played by a job and eating ally larder the hero's resurgence didn't make it and Claire's boyfriend, Doc, played by Ian Mackin, soft-spoken Razor, played by Fraser James, untrusting Christian, played by William Levy, and short-haired mechanic Abigail. Is her name ever said? But she's played by Ruby Rose. There's a big fight as they hold off Isaac's men, and then these six, plus two nameless hangers-on, all go to the hive where Albert Wesker, again played by Sean Roberts, is waiting for them, at controlling Umbrella's defenses to kill them all. Oh, by the way, the Red Queen also tells Alice there's an Umbrella spy in the group. 4,400 people left, one of them's a spy. When the Renegades prove hard to kill, Wesker orders the awakening of two Umbrella High Commanders. Dr. Isaacs, the real one this time, the one rolling outside in the tank, has also been a clone. And Alicia, who now looks about 90 years old. <laughs> Isaacs is also enhanced to be a super fighter, even better than Alice, and it's revealed Doc is the traitor, so real Isaacs and Wesker have Alice and Claire captive, and all the others were killed along the way. But then it's revealed Alice is also just a clone, which I've been stating since like the second movie, if you recall. I do. <laughs> You've been floating that idea. You haven't been like swearing up and down. Yeah, well, the real Alice was Alicia the premature aging woman. So we have what Isaacs calls the Trinity of Bitches. The Red Queen, made from young Alicia, Alice, a clone of Alicia, now middle-aged, and Alicia herself, now an old woman, who despises what Umbrella... Well, we're, we gotta talk about what she was complicit in, but she now despises Umbrella. So do I. Somebody audibly laughed at this my screening at that line. <laughs> oh, I did too! I, that was the one crowd reaction, was... <laughs> Trinity of bitches. I mean, I started just, yeah, I really lost it. You probably heard me from my theater several states away. Yeah, especially since this movie's big on biblical allegory to bring up the Trinity of bitches, not the Holy Trinity. <laughs> this movie is so horrible. 
Fights happen. Wesker is killed. Claire shoots her traitorous bow. And Alice makes it outside with the antivirus. But before she can release it, she's stopped by real Isaacs again. But then clone Isaacs arrives and is unable to deal with the fact he's a clone. So he stabs and kills real Isaacs. Then clone Isaacs is killed by a zombie horde. And Alice releases the antivirus. And all the zombies immediately fall over dead. Meanwhile, Alicia sets off explosives in the hive killing all of Umbrella's sleeping high command. You know, there were a few thousand more humans down there that might help <laughs> populate the Earth. But no, let's kill them all and kill Alicia herself as well. And Alice falls over dead? No, not dead. No, of course not. Of course they can't do that. For some reason, the mm. Red Queen and Alicia both feel that Alice had to be willing to kill herself when freeing the virus, or else those remaining 4,700 humans don't deserve to live, I guess. And the virus that she relieves doesn't actually save them. Like, the Red Queen just goes up online and saves them somehow. Fuck you. The virus is going to take years to spread. We're told in some retcon epilogue that the monsters are still around and she can drive around on her motorbike still fighting them in some sequel no one wants. Sure, but it took care of the immediate danger. I mean, the horde that was outside, they all went down when it was released. No, it didn't. The Red Queen said that she did something. This whole quest has been meaningless. Not that meaningless. She Alice saved them by breaking the virus and rides off on her motorcycle again alone and again chased by more infected beasts that weren't killed by the virus. Exactly. As credits roll. Fuck you. This movie is an assault on sanity. Aw, <laughs> oh, Stuart, I thought you were going to be happy. You've been wanting an antivirus for movies after movie now. <laughs> it didn't work! <laughs> Even in the last concluding moments of a final chapter, they waffle <laughs> on whether the virus actually worked or how long it's going to take to work. All right, here's what I'm going to just put forth. This movie's continuity is just, there is none. They're like, we don't even fucking care. This isn't like Scream 3, everything you know is wrong type shit. This is everything we wrote was wrong, so we're going to change it. And... I am only going to review this movie in isolation. I used the plot summary to call out every inconsistency that was glaring from the previous movies. Got it. I'm going to review this as a movie to see if this entertains me, not judge it on how closely they adhere to, honestly, a couple of really shitty films. We didn't even like the last one. It just had a nice ending. Well, why won't you do that for other films? You are already setting the bar lower than you ever have before. You are saying, oh, it doesn't matter that they made a shitty, shitty screenplay. It matters. I'm going to judge this screenplay by its own merits, but I'm not going to judge this screenplay based upon what was written in the previous five. I will judge the screenplay. All right. I'm just not going to judge it based upon Dr. Isaacs is a clone and Wesker wasn't really helping Alice. I'm not going to hold those things against it. I'm going to, believe me, I'm going to judge the screenplay. I'm not lowering myself where, like, I don't care what the writing says. I care what the writing says. That's what I was hearing you say. No. All right, good. Glad to know it. No, I think that's fair. I'm going into this one as if it was my clone who saw episodes two and five, and I personally saw one in this one. And your clone is pissed at you and trying to stab you because it made you watch two and five? Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, already they've created a really weird situation in which did the second movie happen or not? 
That second movie was about saving the scientist that invented the T-virus and his daughter. That daughter is going to end up being Alice. So did that happen? No, no. That's a that's a different doctor. I know it's a different doctor because they've retconned it. Well, no, no. That doctor is a doctor who worked on the T-cell virus, but he is not the professor who owned the company. That guy was one of a team working for this professor. But he had an identical life to the owner of the company in that he had a daughter that he needed to save with some rare condition, and his cure also had the side effect of causing problems. Same cure. Same cure for both. They invented the same cure for two different diseases. One had a walking disease and one had progeria. Listen, remember what I said in the plot summary is this Professor Marcus wanted to cure his daughter, so... They found the T-virus, which cured a myriad of other diseases. Now, I'm guessing Marcus wasn't alone in a lab. So one of the guys helping Marcus in the lab was Ashford from part two. And so another disease it just so happened to cure was his daughter's walking disease. No, he cured that. They told us he was their brilliant mind and that he cured that. He was one of the brilliant minds and he cured that. All right, you're going to stand behind this. I don't want to fight. This is a paradox. Here's what happened is, remember, W.S. Anderson wrote that script for part two. And in his original script, Ashford was the sole creator of the T-virus and his daughter was the basis for the Red Queen. The director of part two came in, did some rewrites, took that out, found it too complex. And so Anderson is now saying, hey, I had this really great idea that that asshole didn't use in part two. No, that was still in there. They did not take that out of that second movie. It was very clear that she was not infected because she was getting that cure that had been made from the whole outbreak of the infection. Right, but what they took out is that she's the Red Queen. Here, that was implied. It was everything but overtly stated out loud. We understood she was the Red Queen. Alice did a double take when she saw her and said, I feel like I've met you before. Yeah, well, Anderson didn't like how far away it went from his script, I guess, because here he's going to do it as he had written it the first time a decade ago. Right. And so did that happen or not? Because the bomb still gets dropped. Yes, we're shown scenes from part two in the opening. Yeah, the bomb is the reason why Raccoon City has a giant pit in it is because they still bombed it. But the mission for why they bombed it and the whole holdback on that was getting the girl of the scientist. And that girl is Alice. No, that's not Alice. That's not Alicia. That's a different girl. What you're trying to say is that the scientists that were so important in part two are now being made to not be important at all. They never invented anything that was meaningful. And the fact that he had a sick daughter might make him look similar to the character that had a sick daughter that created the real cure. But that isn't what the case. Hey, remember when I said I'm not going to judge this movie by its continuity with part two and the other parts? Yeah, that's where I'm at. And yet it's tied to the continuity of part two in that they have to go back to a raccoon city that was devastated by the effects of part two. I'm just not going to get angry about the rewrites. Part two happened, and yet it didn't happen the way that they told us. I think there's bigger problems with who released this virus, because in part one, it's quite clear. Oh, God, I, we're giving there. I thought that's why we had this <laughs> show, that we so we could bitch about all this. <laughs> no, I'm not going to spend this whole show bitching that in part one, they said this. 
This is a terrible film. There is nothing to compliment. Bullshit. Let's get into it. First of all, I love the visuals of devastated D.C. I mean, the Capitol building, the White House, the Washington Monument. Yeah, when have we ever seen that before? Didn't, like, Triple X do this 12 years ago? I mean, this is not new. I'm not saying it's new, but it's a new way of depicting it. I mean, it's Planet of the Apes in D.C. It's Independence Day, only the buildings are still standing, but there's chunks missing. I'm a little mad that they didn't actually show us the battle. I mean, at least they could have part fived it where they show us the battle in slow-mo in reverse or something, but no. (laughs) I, for one, was kind of glad that we didn't open up with this huge battle that they had promised. I mean, did we really need an orcs versus elves type of battle to to open this up? And I don't know why I didn't want to see it. I mean, they set it up and that's where we were heading, but I guess I just didn't need it. Yeah, and I want to say right now that any movie edited the way that this movie is edited gets a not recommend. I knew instantly that I could not recommend this movie because I am watching this enormous screen with 3D effects and the shot length is about a millisecond each. It is so violently, aggressively edited. I hated looking at it. It actually felt like this thing was edited by that laser hallway they just threw the the print down the hall had it diced up and then stapled the debris together i'll say i had some issues with the editing during certain action moments but every action moment no certain action moments there is not one moment we're allowed to look at it it must constantly move and be chopped up mila is getting older and she can't perhaps do as many of the stunts as she used to (laughs) it is Two stunt people, actually two crew people, were really hurt. One got killed when, like, something felt like a vehicle. You mentioned that. Yes. That's terrible. No, no. That's the other person. The stunt woman got her head crushed, went into a coma, and lost her arm. But then another crew member was killed when they were filming, like, a car on this moving platform, and the car fell off the moving platform. So one death, one maiming due to this film. Yeah, best not to even consider the loss of real human life. I already don't like this movie, so let's not go there, but that's awful. (laughs) But when she's in D.C. and that zombie jumps out from the water, I'm like, wow, this is edited again like Gladiator and Hannibal. That choppy motion that really was the thing in 2000, 2001, where it's just going to stutter like they're removing half the frames. They changed the frame rate in those Ridley Scott movies, but that's not what this is. This has just been edited this way. No, no, they also changed the frame rate here. It's jerky motion. It's like we're watching them in strobe. Add to that bad 3D post-conversion. So much of it was blurry. I think it got better, or I got used to it, but in the opening scenes, it was really bad. You got used to it. I know that people complain about handheld sometimes or 3D and it makes them sick. This movie made me sick. The way that it was cut and presented, I literally hated to look up at the screen. Yeah, but it didn't make you physically ill the way like <laughs> handheld does. After a while, it does because you, you're sitting there processing that. Yeah, I can't imagine 3D helping that scene at all. <laughs> I mean, it was nauseating enough just in 2D. Yeah, you have this problem anyway, right? Yeah, they really went for a crank-style editing with all the action here. Well, let's look at this editor, because I will be looking at credits for this. If I ever see Doobie White listed as a creditor to an edit, 
I won't watch the film. Are you saying he's a dubious editor? Oh. <laughs> well, I think so. He edited Jonah Hex, Ghost Rider 2, oh. Gamer, and Crank 2, which I didn't see. I know that's in our book, and maybe that one's okay. That's good. But it does have this kind of jittery action and rapid cut. Yes, this feels like Crank 2. I'll grant that. It feels like Jonah Hex. It feels like something I don't want to watch. And that's my point for bringing it up and being so volatile this early on. Is almost instantly I knew I didn't want to watch this film. It hurts to watch this film. I'll say that I was worried. I'll say that the fact that I couldn't see the zombie and then it happens again. There's this flying dragon with like a scorpion tail and a mouth that looks like the creeper from Jeepers Creepers. I was getting worried that I wouldn't be able to enjoy this movie's action. There is not a scene where we linger. You will agree. There's not one moment where we have a wide shot and we see two people that are really skilled at fighting show us what they can do. No. Yeah, nothing breathes in this movie. It's just short nothing. little gasps of breath the entire way through. Yes, and that is, for me, overwhelming very early on. I am glad, though, that this movie doesn't decide to take too many deep breaths. We have three long monologue moments in this film where big things are revealed. We have Alice's at the beginning where she talks about the, how the T-virus was released. We have her meeting the Red Queen a little bit later on. We have the one at the end. But this movie's just going to be action. That's good. Play to its strengths. The less people are talking, the happier I am. I agree with that. I agree that what it needs to focus on is presenting good action. And I think you pointed out something that's also true. Mia used to be the one to insist on doing all the stunts, slow-mo shots of her flipping, cartwheeling, roundhousing, doing all the stuff to let you know this was real. I didn't see one stunt that she did. I was ready to be the Russian judge at the Olympics and hold up the, you know, rating for every <laughs> flip that she did. I don't think she did a single flip. She did a couple of wire things I could tell that was her and she was on a zip line. Yeah, but I mean when she's hanging upside down and shooting people too and doing some moves, but she just had a baby like five months before filming. She had her second child. Don't hold that against us. Then don't make the movie yet. <laughs> they waited five years. Why not wait five more? Yeah, to be honest with you, they almost didn't need stump people for Mila here. I mean, everything was just close-up shots of a fist or a thigh <laughs> yeah no they would do that intentionally i noticed they would have subliminal shots of boots and things just to break up the action it's what they wanted to do they didn't want to have an image look static they wanted it to be a montage so yeah i'm opposed to this movie from the moment we're in dc and that's too bad because you hate to turn on a movie so quickly i knew there was about 80 minutes left but the mission that she finds out when she gets to the basement is an uneasy alliance between her and the red queen the red queen is ready to turn traitor she's also ready to turn on dot matrix printers i love that <laughs> yeah i recognize the sound before i saw it i'm like i know what that is <laughs> and yeah she uses old school technology to write a shining message and say hello alice a million times but she's also a hologram that can just pop up and say what she needs to and she does and another contradiction i have to point out it's in her program not to hurt umbrella didn't she fucking gas the entire <laughs> hive and then kill anyone that came in? 
And she says that she was built to respect human life. No, I'm just going to screw with that person on the elevator, like Justin pointed out. (laughs) I'm putting a rag in my Coke bottle, lighting it on fire, and throwing it at the screen at this point. I can't believe you're okay with this kind of, oh, let's just, the opposite of everything we said before. (laughs) I've never held any of these movies too dear. So if they can (laughs) set up this movie and put me on a path that makes sense for once... I'm willing to go along with it. And right from the beginning where Alice is giving us her dissertation on what has come before and setting up this story, I'm I'm like, fine, let's, let's get on the road and let's get there. I agree with you. It is really important to accept the premise for what it is. It makes me mad to be told that everything I paid attention to for five movies doesn't matter, though. That makes me mad. I can see that. I kind of treat these movies the way the movies treat Alice, you know. I wake up and feel like I can't remember what happened before. And honestly, I think that's kind of the way we're supposed to treat these movies. At this point, I feel like Michael Bay would like stand up and be like, dude, get control of your story. (laughs) This doesn't make sense. (laughs) For some reason, I don't think so. Again, take this in isolation. All right, the Red Queen never screwed with people's human life, I guess, or something. And she's here to try to stop Umbrella herself. Because, yes, we talked about it a little bit in the plot summary, but 4,700 humans left. Let's go all out now to save them. Let's not do it. You know, it just seems like a waste. It does not seem like a victory to save 4,400 humans. And also, you have 48 hours to do it. I don't know how she's judging it. Like, where are these humans and what's going to kill them in 48 hours? They're all over the world. We're shown a map. At some point, we cut to Wesker, and we see that they're in little pockets all over the world. I think they're the audience for this movie. It's whoever's left still (laughs) watching this series. Those are the people that matter. Right? What is the looming threat here? Are there hordes of zombies heading towards them? That doesn't make any sense to me. How are they going to be killed? I know that there's drones flying around. That's how they spot Project Alice, is that they're able to still keep a track on everyone because of Google Earth or something. But yeah, is it gas? Is it a bomb? Is it more zombies? How do they know that synchronized, there'll be this mass death? My mental state went to, well, video games and thinking about how you have these certain missions I pictured like zombie hordes heading to kill them and you have 48 hours, but I would also think that it's not going to be like a bomb, you know, where in 48 hours, everybody's dead immediately. But if you stop it at 47 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds, all 4,400 are alive. I would think that like they're dying and by the end of 48 hours, they're just all gone, right? I mean... No, you're right. It's it's too late at that point. I mean, once that clock hits zero, it's over. But what does over mean? Yeah, and there's no explanation for why that is. We just accept that as, yeah, the drop dead point, literally. You always talk about how in screenwriting you need a ticking clock. They literally give us one, <laughs> but it's the most artificial I've seen in a long time. And you can't see the clock because they never hold on the frame long enough for you to know exactly how many hours. I mean, you got to be a speed reader. Maybe I just am used to quick cuts more. I watch different films than you do. I got the time on that clock and wrote it down every time we got to see her watch. I did too, but I'm telling you, it was like 12 minutes. If you're going to have a ticking clock, you want people to be aware of that time. You hold on that clock. That is your enemy. 
true. I mean, with my one viewing, I wasn't able to lock in on that clock at all. It was, they showed it and boop, it was gone. They don't emphasize it. We can agree they're not using that as a way of, they'll still do the 3D maps. They'll still show you the way that people walk into the levels and all of that. But they are not using the timer as a way of creating suspense. In fact, it's weird. Like there's some moments where like she blinks and five hours have passed. And then the the finale, it's 15 minutes long, but it's only four minutes of actual time. Yeah, that's how (laughs) movies do it. I mean, it's it's a trope. It's always faster until the very end. And then it's at best real time, sometimes slower than real time. But Alice gets captured a lot in a short period of time. She's going to get captured three times in the first half hour. (laughs) The first time the car she's driving goes off the road, flips, and she sees a bright, shiny motorcycle that she decides to try to take. And some guy pops out from some pillbox or something. And there's a stack of tires. Then while shooting at her, she happens to step back into, like, this bear trap, like, from Yogi Bear that <laughs> hangs her upside down. Oh, this is from the Wiley e. Coyote playbook here. That There's this shiny... All right, surrounded around her, every vehicle is on fire, burning, in devastation. And then, do-do-do, there's this shiny, beautiful BMW bike that literally has written on the side, Umbrella Corporation. Maybe I should go <laughs> up and touch it. Hmm. Chink. And it turns out to be a trap. Well, it's the second trap, because the first one, she does that really cool upside-down fighting. I mean, that... Oh, it's really cool. That's what I want. That is what I want out of this movie, is to see some nice fights. And it's inventive to have somebody hanging upside-down, hit in the stomach with the butt of the gun several times. They did it in the third movie. It was when the Hicks got her. They did this whole thing before. And... Alice does seem to have one line, like, is that all you've got? She uses it here, she uses it later. It's like, that line is so great, let's keep using it. Yeah, that's, it's an overused line in general, is that all you've got, but. (laughs) I think they might have misunderstood the meaning of a one-liner. It's not that you use the same line over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) It's a 20-liner, sure, it just doesn't get old. You're right, Stuart. This is very video game-ish here, you know? I mean, here's a shiny new bike for you. <laughs> oh, do you think maybe, just maybe it was placed there by people that want to grab you? In fairness, she did kind of walk up to it intrepidly. She was, she knew something was going to happen. Oh, yeah, she creeps up. But, I mean, duh, if made by Umbrella Corporation. Something not good is going to happen. But then the bike itself is an electrical trap, so she just got out of one trap, pushes a button, and she's tased, killed. Electrocuted. Tasered, yeah. And then she wakes up in an armored vehicle that was where? It was in the bushes? She's in the TARDIS, right? This thing is so much bigger on the inside. <laughs> it's got levels. It's got a front, a back, it's got an upstairs, it's got a cockpit. On the outside, it looks like maybe a tank and a Humvee had a baby. It's got treads, but it's like a truck you get inside there's like cages and a whole bunch of disciples and there's a cockpit with an asian guy driving it who's of course going to do martial arts later because stereotypical asian Mm -hmm. i'm like how the hell do they fit all these people in this (laughs) little vehicle you know what i don't have any love for this movie but i will say my one moment of happy surprise 
is when she gets thrown out of this. They decide to cast her out because she's not a believer. I, because they're so convincing as missionaries. I, who wouldn't want to sign up for a religion that chains you in a Humvee and, and carves crucifixes <laughs> in your faces? But she has the entire living dead horde nipping at her heels as she's being dragged behind the vehicle. That is straight up Mad Max Fury Road. But I love Mad Max Fury Road, so do that reference. The zombie horde is gorgeous. I love seeing hundreds of thousands of zombies in a world where there's not too much food left all chasing these tanks. That is just, I've never seen that in a movie. Yeah, World War Z, we've seen this kind of stuff. Not this many, not like... It looked cool, I'll give you that, I'm giving a compliment, I'm being nice. <laughs> it looked cool, temporarily my pain was relieved and I thought it was amazing to look at a large, wide shot that showed sweep. And I think the point is there's so few living people to eat anymore that you have mass competition I mean, they're having food shortages. Basically, the zombies don't have anything else to eat. So one chick being dragged behind a Hummer is something that half a million zombies are going to want to get in on. At least to an existential crisis. What do they do when the last 4,800 are killed? <laughs> yeah, that would be a more interesting way to take the story. But I don't really know. I feel like this religious flourish is just a way of honoring George Miller, that there's no real cool satirical element to the fact that the preacher is the guy that used to run Umbrella, Isaacs. I just have this theory that Anderson sat down with his Rolodex, if he still has one, maybe his Palm Pilot since he started this so long ago, and called every name michelle rodriguez hey you want to come do this nah man i did the last one and it wasn't so great hey ali larder you want to do this please i need a job hey guy who played leon do you want to do it oh that fair i think he just called everyone and isaacs said yes and so all right well we killed you pretty definitively but we're gonna have clones and let's remind the audience there were clones because I did like this one moment where he opens like a glass drawer and there's three decapitated Alice's in there. Yeah, I mean, that moment was fine. I don't have much stakes for their fight that Alice, of course, is going to get back up on top of this vehicle and have a fist fight with this old dude. Well, I'm not thinking that she's going to lose. No, that's the one thing is it's a video game movie and the point of a video game is to not die she is not going to get harmed. I'm not so sure about how the movie was going to end being the final chapter. This could be her martyrdom, but I knew here when she was running behind, I'm like, she's just going to get under that thing and beat up the guy on top. And she does They send another guy out, beats her up. I'm going to call clone Isaacs though. My favorite villain in this entire movie he is righteous with purpose his strange religious devotion is out of nowhere but i love just the wackiness of it it feels like something stephen king would do just to poke fun at religion and the perversion of it in the face of apocalypse it's mad max dude it's uh, lord humongous it's what they did in every mad max movie right and i'm willing to help the movie out a little bit here if we're to believe that this isaac clone believes that he's the real isaac and he's drawing his inspiration from the good book the story of noah i'm gonna go along with that there's some connection there you're right that we'll find out this isn't the real guy but the real guy also had inspiration from a biblical flood or a purge an apocalypse 
I think the difference I see is that the original Isaac used this as a selling point. He was using it to sell his idea, whereas his clone actually bought it. This was the way he lived his life. He he went with it. I'm not sure that that parallel means that much to me. I wish that it did. That is the opportunity a screenwriter has to draw some cool intellectual ideas into their action film. I don't ultimately understand why that is or when it becomes a battle between the two Isaacs that it's that satisfying. And I also don't understand why she can get away on the very bike that tasered her. Well, she cuts off his hand. I love that moment. I don't know why she doesn't kill him immediately. She could cut his throat just as easily, but she cuts off his hand. She never kills. I I had to wonder. I had to look at the rating. I thought this was a PG-13 movie because she actually never kills anybody except those people that are covered. She killed the soldiers because we didn't see their face. But if you ever see their face, she'll just wound them. Well, she cuts off his hand and uses his dismembered hand to start the bike because it's doing fingerprint identification. If you don't Ah. match the fingerprints, because she put her fingerprints on the ignition there. It's like opening your iPhone. You just have to use the thumbprints. Okay. And it didn't recognize her, so it tasered her. It recognized this hand. Yeah, I caught that too, but it kind of drove me nuts that she didn't need to use it later on. Well, does she use the motorcycle again? She takes the hand, she goes off, she's just going to ride this motorcycle for like two minutes before she falls into another trap where she's like (laughs) beamed in the head by this giant metal crane arm. I know, she's so bad in this movie. We forgot to mention she also had a car at one point, but it hit something on the road. I don't even know what. No, she was just in a car that got hit by spike strips, so it was a trap from the very get-go. Were there spike strips? You're sure? Yeah, there was a pretty extreme close-up of her tires hitting the spike strips and stopping her vehicle. That's why she got out. It was blinking you miss it, and Stuart, it sounds like you were blinking a lot. Well, God forgive me for (laughs) wanting to close my eyes at this wonderful movie. Just needed to refresh the frame rate. But this third trap there, I guess fourth if you count the spike strips, this trap is set by good humans to just try to keep people out. I love their defense system, which is hanging zombies. And if anybody comes, the zombies wake up and try to, like, writhe. It sounds like something I would have read in the Walking Dead comics, or I may actually have read in the Walking Dead comics. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sounds like something that he ripped off from somewhere else. Yes, it does. And guess what? Claire is here. What a convenience. Yay. I'm glad to have somebody back. <laughs> what happened to Claire? Help remind me. Was she shot up on the carrier at sea in the fifth movie? She actually says, because we thought she was killed on the Arcadia, she says she was captured while on the Arcadia and then right. escaped and with these other people and formed this last ditch society. Uh-huh. Okay. Even the way they delivered those lines is, you know, we don't care, so you don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Are they part of the 4,000? Are they in that head count? I gotta think they are, and several of them die. But what is threatening them that they're going to die when the clock runs out? This is the one threat that we are made to understand, is that there are one, two hordes of zombies heading directly towards them, and we learn later on, that there's two more, so a total of four heading right towards them in Raccoon City. So that's it? That zombies are just going to overtake them at the zero mark? I believe so. Okay. Synchronized zombies, what can I say? Yeah, whatever. Uh, The new team, just as good as the old team? That's the best compliment I can give them? Exactly as good as the old team. Every bit as good as the other nameless, faceless, we see them for (laughs) one movie. Hell, I think everybody here is better than Kmart. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
This is at least Target. I don't know. A Christian's pretty annoying. I mean, whenever you have a character that's always just like, I'm against this. Why? I don't know. I'm just against it. And I couldn't tell. Was he doing a Latin accent? He's Cuban in real life. He's Cuban. Okay. Yeah. There was a strange accent going on, and I... I had trouble understanding him or his motivation, but he'll disappear very quickly. All these people, it's just about looks, right? It's just about which character would you pick out for yourself to play in the game. Do you like this haircut? Do you like this outfit? That's all that they're meant to be. And we find out pretty quickly that there's a traitor. Alice doesn't know it, but Isaacs is talking to Wesker by video phone. They're FaceTiming, and they're like, my operative is there. And so I start running through. Okay, who are we introduced to? There's Doc, Claire's boyfriend, who's helping Alice and giving her medicine. There's Razor, who, if this movie had come out six months from now, I'd tell you he was ripping off Saw Gerrera with his voice <laughs> and his delivery. But it was just a coincidence. He's British. Yeah, I was getting kind of a Cassian Andor vibe off of Doc. But we were told that there's a spy in the midst, so I'm trying to figure out who it is. I want to outsmart this movie, which isn't very hard to do, and so I'm really analyzing all the new people. I rule out Claire. She's been around too long. Christian, way too obvious. He's way too angry. He's too against everybody. He's not it. Razor, no, I don't think... Doc. Doc is the nicest one, therefore he must be the traitor. I was right. Yeah, well, I don't know that you deserve that many compliments for guessing this thin. He is the one that they hold on the longest, but I wasn't even concerned about who the traitor was because they're not doing anything behind the scenes to stop this mission. They've been tasked to go into the hive, and I don't see that the traitor does anything but enable that. Yeah, all he does is really basically escort Alice at this point. Yeah, he's the last-ditch insurance that should she get all the way to the end, he'll kill her. Right, almost knowing that there's going to be a final showdown here in the control room. It would have been really funny if they completely subverted expectations and the spy was killed really quickly. And then later on, they're like, we had a spy, but he died an hour ago in the movie. <laughs> I mean, that would be funny in a Tarantino way. That's something that Quentin would do to spice up this formula. Yeah, you're hoping for subversion in a Resident Evil film. Yeah. Good luck there. All right. Yeah. Nobody can argue this. The battle when Isaacs leads his hordes to that building and they send those flaming gasoline tanks and pour waterfalls of fire. The 3D never did anything for me, but the visuals alone are gorgeous. I gotta give this movie the just the overall style of it. I love the visuals the from Destroy DC to this, and even to a degree, the burnt-out hive post-nuclear apocalypse. But this fight is the prettiest this movie's getting. The whole series? I would say so. I mean it's it's a good looking movie. And I don't just I don't know if that's because they have a higher budget or if it's you know more modern technologies available to him at this point but yeah i think it's true it's the same cinematographer as the last couple of anderson movies four and five i'll go with you guys on this far it should have been the sets the production design and the way that things are lit do create very striking apocalyptic imagery however i can't watch any of it i don't enjoy any of it by the way that it's cut I can't see what's going on, and I cannot get into it. I'm not going to say that they slow down necessarily here, but it does feel like it. it's a little easier to tell what's going on in this battle. You know, like Arnie pointed out, when they're firing their, their gas bombs, you can see what's happening. You can tell that they're going out there and hitting the marks that they had previously laid out. I get that they have catapults. 
I don't get why there's a cylindrical building that's hollow in the center and that suddenly everyone's in there and they're pouring what looks to be 20 barrels of gasoline and that somehow creates enough fire to blow up the whole building. I wouldn't say that I understood any of this, no. I don't know where they got the gas. I guess if we're going Mad Max, they're hoarding the gas. And I just love the fire in it. I love just how that is all looking and... This is our introduction to Abigail, very briefly. Uh, her father had a chop shop. She paid attention so she can now turn cranes into catapults. And it's just, I find this to be very fun. And when Alice gets down on the one tank and covers it in gasoline and it, flames come out of all the seams like a breathing dragon, I'm having a good, good time. I wish I could agree with you. Yes, these would be powerful visuals. I would turn that argument around. Why don't they trust these visuals to tell the story? Why are they chopping them up and making them hard to follow? Did Anderson not do a good job directing? This did not bother me during this scene. The stuff that was bothering me during, even during the hanging upside down fight, I'm not bothered by it here. I'm following this and really excited. Justin, you said you didn't want the orcs battle. This is what I think would it been like. This is the kind of fun I wanted at the start of this movie. I'm getting it here. I understand, though. Anderson is stalling. This is not germane yes. to the plot at all. And Correct. I realize this. No, that was painful. Why are they spending this much time waiting for zombie hordes to come when she only has a couple minutes to get down into the hive and get the antivirus? That's the only thing to be focused on. Yeah, this has nothing to do with it other than she's going to pick up a few people to help her along the way. I get it, but it's a good stall tactic. If this was its own movie, I'd be happy with it. If it's the Defend or Burned Out High Rise movie, I'd go with that. Yeah. I love those kinds of movies. They're called Fury Road. Yeah, that would be a good movie. Uh, but this is not. This is a different movie that has been poorly spliced into a video game level-by-level level movie that they're not going to get to for about 40 minutes. But eventually they do. The first boss, I guess, is that Chu, that Asian that jumps out of the tank and proves to be fast but not that bright. I don't understand this either. She's able to send him and the zombie hordes away in that tank by having him be dragged behind. Who's piloting that? Yeah, I think it's just on autopilot. But there's a crew inside. We're in, going to end up finding out that there's a bunch of white guys inside and that the preacher, Isaac, is back at city limits and takes it back. No, no, that's the second tank. Yeah, there were two tanks. That was a second tank? Yeah, we saw that very clearly. They were driving in parallel down the road. Yeah. Okay, it was not clear to me. And the Asian, what confused me a little bit, I guess the only thing I'm like, what the hell? She ends up shooting him in the chest, and he falls over, and he grabs the chest, and you see something silver there. And I'm like, oh, we're supposed to think he's dead. He's not really dead. We're going to find out he had a cigarette case or something that protected him. We never know what protected him. Just the next time we see him, they're chaining him up and he's still alive and they're going to have him eaten by zombies. I'm like, I thought he was a robot. I thought that's what they were trying to tell us. Zombies wouldn't go after robots. They don't care about machines. Yeah. You think that continuity would matter? It would be cool though, right? To have a robot right here. <laughs> Let's do what's cool. You are right. It would be cool to have a robot. I mean, it's all about doing cool. Because th really, the smart thing to do if you're trying to get in the hive is to go through the back door that Alice has clearance of that she spent a marriage 
defending that has a train and air conditioning and would get them exactly where they need to be. But no, let's do the cool thing and rappel into the bomb blast and try and get into the part of the hive that was exposed by the bomb. Do you think that train is still running and that house is still standing after a nuke? I don't think it was hit by the nuke. We see the nuke radius. It is very concentrated in the center of the urban environment. That mansion is still standing. But that isn't cool. That would be the lazy way. We need to have rappelling and swimming and zombie dogs. Hey, these dogs have more purpose than the movie A Dog's Purpose. (laughs) (laughs) I hope to never find out. I was thinking that when the dog was in the water. I'm like, no dogs were harmed with this film. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. And they're bigger this time. The, The way they up the stakes here is we've seen dogs, I think, in every movie. Now they're big. No, there weren't in the last film, and that's why that last film sucked. No zombie dogs. I think there's a rule we can go by here. The less dogs, the worse the film. Mm. (laughs) You can do the math on that later. I'm just not sure that's going to solve for X for you. But again, this is a breached part of the hive that still has doors, and they got to get in while the doors are being closed, and Christian's been turned, and he gets squished in the doors. They're just making up their own rules. Whatever seems to make sense in the moment. There's no logic to any of this. The thing that's completely illogical is the two refugees from the tank that are like, Mm. we know where you're going. We want to go with you. Why? Who? What are you? And the fact that they killed one of them right away. I'm like, okay, good. And then they killed Christian, not the other one. The other guy's like hanging around for a long time. And he reminds me of this guy I went to college with who was always asking for weed. Like just the beard, the real gaunt look. And (laughs) I'm just like, why is Shaggy tagging along with this gang? He was my pick for the spy. I figured that since he came from Isaac's crew, and Isaac's crew seemed to be with him, even though they were chained and followers against their will, they were also brainwashed to worship him. And so I assumed that that would make sense, that this nameless guy that no one is asking questions about, hasn't been vetted by any of the heroes, would be the spy. But no, they kind of get rid of him. Somewhere down the line, they just open a trap door and he falls. And that's like, yeah, we're done with this. He was the first one to let us know as viewers that that hallway or vent system that they were in wasn't safe because he was the first one to fall through into that shaft. Yeah, he falls down, but he survives. And then he loses fingers to fall further cutting off the fingers that was i'm gonna give this point some points for creativity on kills too we got the doors crushing we have three kills that involve cutting off fingers or hands i'm not gonna give it creative point i just like that he's holding on for dear life and that thing goes up i'm like can he crawl up back up can he crawl back up no we're taking off his fingers and he's gonna fall to his death It's like you defending this movie. You're just going to hang on and hang on. I cannot believe this, Arnie. Arnie, you are giving this movie such a pass that you never have on some of the other franchises. I've never seen you lay down and be so willing. Maybe this has beaten me into submission after the previous one. That last one was a hard road to tell. Here, I'm just happy we're not back in part five. That's kind of where I'm at with this franchise. You know, given my druthers and we were sitting around a year from now and we hadn't reviewed these movies and somebody asked me, Hey, would you recommend resident evil as a series? I I would probably say no, but sitting here being this close to the end, like Arnie said, I've been beaten into submission. I'm just kind of enjoying (laughs) the ride at this point. You know, we have a plot that is a little easier to follow and they're giving us video game levels that are keeping me interested. And you know, outside of the choppy action, 
I'm kind of digging this for, for what it is right now. I could read my audience. I mean, I knew I didn't want this movie. I made no secret of not wanting to see this movie. It's not my type of movie. But I I usually do try to go along with and meet films where they're positioned. And I always look forward to weekend of releases because it gives me an opportunity to be with the fans. I may not care, but people have paid money to be here on opening night. And what do they think of it? I was looking around at the 20 people in my theater and it was like they were playing a video game. They like it was they were in the zone. They didn't laugh, they didn't shout at the screen, they didn't boo, they didn't clap. I don't know what anyone thought about any of this. They just kind of just sat there in a trance. When you come back to Illinois, that's every crowd. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's the best movie ever. They just we're, we're a quiet bunch. But at one point, I had this real out of the movie moment. Because Wesker, he takes control of the defenses away from the Red Queen. He's playing the video game. He's sitting there setting the traps off. And at one point he says, unleash the Sybaris. And two things came to mind. First of all, I thought there was like some really high-end sex toy. It turns out that's the Sibian, not the Sybaris. Too much information. (laughs) Didn't need to know that. And then it turns out there's this skeevy chain of hotels here in Illinois called Sybaris that have like private pools where you and your significant other... It's for swingers. Is it? I just thought it was for like couples who want to screw in a pool. And so you go and... Yeah, also known as swingers. Yes. I knew someone that went. I, I know the story. And I know that sounds very suspicious. Like, oh, yeah, your friend went to Sybaris. But, uh, you know, I've had my own adventures. I would cop to it if I've been to Sybaris, but I have heard about it. And I did not experience it firsthand. But come on, Cerebus is the Greek mythology dog, right? I mean, that's what they're referencing. Oh, Cerebus. I, I was writing my notes. I wrote Sybaris. Uh, I wasn't clear. Oh, yeah, Cerebus, Clash of the Titans. I remember now. Yeah, this is a Clash of the Titans moment. I'm sure that's where he got this. And I was thinking about that Simpsons joke. I remember that the writers were writing for Poochie. I don't know if you remember that episode. and But it's a great episode, and they make a Cerebus reference that falls on deaf ears. And I think that that's what's happened here. Yeah, my ears were very deaf. I was thinking, I guess, about Swingers Hotels. <laughs> <laughs> we see what we want to see, I guess. So those were the dogs. It's not the big creature we see later. He right. said, release Sybaris. They released those dogs that Yes. I thought it was this big creature we're going to find later in the hive that has no explanation. Oh, the bioweapon. Yeah, uh-huh. we're also told that in a laboratory where people are strung up in chains... There's some creature that kills the black guy. Yeah, I don't even know what that was. Couldn't even begin to guess. I thought that was Sybaris. <laughs> Here's a question that hasn't been asked yet. What's going on at the Hive? Like, has it been closed down since the new kit? Or are they still running it there? They keep going back to that Hive. You, you think it's the only lab that they have. Yeah, let's go back to ground zero that's not secure, that's full of zombies everywhere and make this antivirus. Well, they had the antivirus before they spread the virus. They did. Yes. That's the only reason they spread the virus is they knew they had a cure and he showed them the green vial. Okay. Yeah. And the hive is where they buried all of the umbrella leaders. And I think Sam Jackson had it better in Kingsman. Let's go to some remote location and party and just live it up. 
not let's put ourselves in freezers and come out when it's over. That's dull. Yeah, and again, I have to be continuity here, but they were evacuating all of the important people in Raccoon City. So why would they stay and be in cryotubes? Well, I guess they didn't think they were that important then, did they? <laughs> yeah, and why drop bombs on the most important people? I mean, not, yeah. again, there's no gratitude towards asking why in this movie. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Why is Wesker there? It's like he left the fight in Washington, D.C. to go to the Hive, where he's alone. He just sits there and watches on a computer. I'm like, Wesker, for being the bad guy for, like, the past two films, is really underserved here. He just Mm. sits and gives orders. He's got an Uhura-like role. And then it turns out he's just Isaacs' bitch anyway. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I was never really too sold on Sunglass Hut as a villain anyway. (laughs) Yeah. True. True, true. But it's strange. You'll admit it's strange to see major villain. I mean, it happened to Darth Vader. We find out that there's a bigger bad, but I do feel like he gets nothing. You know, that he gets not one martial arts fight even uh, is strange. And that his bigger bad is that asshat from part three. I mean, yes. it's not like they picked a right. good one. They picked Isaacs, who was in the first time I didn't recommend a film is because he was so stupid when he was trying to teach the zombie to play cards or whatever. Yeah. And this is, I guess, <laughs> where we can bring up the fact that there are two different Isaacs as well, that Red Queen has tipped her hat. When they first got into the hive, she's like, all right, I'm going to finally tell you what really happened. It's time for the backstory moment. And we saw how Isaacs was talking to some old woman that they're not showing a close-up for that does sound a lot like uh, Mia doing a Catherine Hepburn impersonation. I mean, I think I guessed that surprise instantly. Yeah. I did not. I thought it was Jenny Aguter from... uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, actually, and Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, it could have been her. It's got the same kind of haircut. It could have been her. You're right. I agree. I thought they telegraphed that pretty heavily. Yeah, it's not very well disguised. But uh, yes, they're in a boardroom and they everyone signs off on creating an umbrella biblical plague. You know, I wish there was that real genius movie moment where one person dissents and they kill them versus everybody being like, yeah. And they say that everyone who's frozen is the umbrella high command. There's a ton of people frozen i would have liked it if like it's the umbrella high command and their families and their best friends and all the rich people but it's poorly done i'm gonna say this though this movie haunted me i've never been scared by a resident evil movie before this movie legitimately frightened me if anybody is friends with me on facebook you know the day after i saw this movie I went fucking nihilist. Like, Is that why you did that? I, that was the most disturbing post you've ever posted. <laughs> it's this movie. I looked it up. Isaacs is right. In like 50 years, no matter what we do, the polar ice caps are going to melt. And because of the population growth, if left unrestricted, there's going to be famine. This fucker's right. We feel close to nuclear war. Thanks, North Korea. He's right. I'm on his side here. I'm like, yes. Why have children right now? We're all going to die painfully. I might be lucky enough to have a shorter lifespan than to see the death of humanity, but it's coming. I'm on his side. This scared the shit out of me. Okay. It's sad that this is the movie to reach you, but I guess (laughs) whatever it takes for you to become active. The point is, these are always prognostications done by scientists whose reputations are constantly criticized. Those timelines are not clear. And there's always the hope, an 
invention and ingenuity that someone in a new generation is going to be able to figure out a cure or uh, get a, us off the planet or listen or, unless arnold schwarzenegger shows up with the freeze ray i think the polar ice caps are fucked yeah it could happen <laughs> i mean we could invent a ray to refreeze the north pole it, i'm not going to get into that i thought this was cheap uh apocalypse baiting but i gotta say i'm with arnie here you know i've not necessarily the way Resident Evil is going about this, but I've, I've been pulled into this, you know, the end of the world is coming because of depleted resources and whatnot. You know, I mean, it was Dan Brown. One of his books is about, you know, a person who's going to release a plague across the planet to cull the population. And, you know, Kingsman did it better as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I kind of found myself understanding where these villains are coming from at least and that's how we got to trump (laughs) (laughs) well i actually looked it up though he did choose the most dire predictions but he's like in 70 years this is going to happen and 80 years this is going to happen his numbers are scientifically backed even if there's other scientists who are like no we have like 30 years more than that Yeah, I mean, I believe that we are facing dire consequences. And yes, that makes everyone question what are they doing with their life and what is the best course of action if indeed humanity is not going to make it. I don't know that everyone would conclude that we just need to go underground uh, and kill everyone with a virus that will be able to stop global warming by coming back up. And how is it going to be different? Well, we, we're certainly stopping carbon emissions when we kill everybody using power. <laughs> so they're going to come back and live a Spartan life? Or there's just so few to matter? Listen, if we had only 4,000 people left, then that's really cutting your carbon. I mean, if you go to those calculators, it says you're using the carbon emissions of X people. Guess what? If we killed billions, we could use the hell out of all the power we wanted. We could start burning flaming tanks of gas for fun. (laughs) Yeah, it still feels like you're just extending the dead man's party. I don't see a way of repopulating. And then eventually you get back to the same problems you had at the start. Yeah, but that's that's generations down the line. I mean, but Stuart, what I'm concerned with at this point is, doesn't this give us something that we've been asking for for movies, which is, why the fuck is Umbrella still around? It gives gives us something here that has been not present whatsoever through this entire series. I agree with that. It does at least explain why they are trying to do these plots in the face of Apocalypse. They created it, which opens up a whole nest of of other problems and continuity issues, namely, then why gas a secret lab? Why not just go into a county fair and open up a bottle? Uh, I'm not trying to retcon to the other movies, but I'm just thinking what Spence did triggered automatic things, and then Umbrella did something else. Because remember, there was that kid in the gondola long before Spence. I was like, I thought the first breakout was in the hive. Yeah, I don't even know what was going on in the cable car. But, you know, that was kind of a cool suspense moment. I'll give them that. The idea that the kid falls over, bites his dad, and by the time he gets up, the operator finds a whole crowded cable car, like, lying on the ground. That was a cool image. I think that's all that it is. I wish we had someone writing this that thought in terms of story and not what would look cool. 
Think of how much better, think about how much more strongly you can endorse this whole project if that were the case. Well, once it comes out what Umbrella was doing and what their motivation is for all of this and that the Isaacs rolling around preaching the word of the Lord is a clone and here's the real Isaac and he's not T-Cell. Is he the Terminator? He's got like this vision where he can programmatically determine that the they've captured Alice and Alice has absolutely no path to success. He can stop everything she tries to do. I'm into this movie's plot. Even I'm like, okay, end of the world type stuff. We're down to like an hour to stop the last 4,000 people from dying. I am wondering, are there more umbrella employees than there are people out there? Because from the sheer perspective of survival of the species, do those people really deserve to die? Do we, couldn't we use a few thousand more people to repopulate? But I guess maybe they'll turn into slave owners or something because they have money. I don't know what good money does you in a post-apocalyptic society anyway. <laughs> then we get to some fights here at the end that are fun. And I'm surprised how much of a beating Alice takes fight after fight. Claire does get to do one thing. She kills Doc and then we don't see her again until after like the whole thing's over. And Wesker, they have the RoboCop moment. Remember, Red Queen, like RoboCop, can't harm employees of the Umbrella Corporation. So when Alicia, the 90-year-old woman... She's a 9-year-old child that looks like a 90-year-old woman. Well, some time has passed. She's got to be at least 12. Okay. But she's been frozen, so I don't think her body... Well, true. True. Yeah, but they have been frozen for, I guess they say it's been 10 years. So when we're trying to figure out all the dates of stuff, you can take... 10 years for all of it which is confusing because it's been 15 years since the first resident evil movie are they just trying to like are they embarrassed to be that old now are they now trying to say uh, mia's not you know had 15 years added to her no they're just trying to say that this story follows directly after the last movie which was oh right years ago in our time 2012 Okay. Oh, good catch, Justin. I just thought some of these movies took place sometime in the future, and I, that's why I was going with 10. But she does the same thing the old man does in Robocop, Wesker, you're fired, which immediately allows the Red Queen to, what, slam a door on him and let him slowly bleed to death or something? You tell me! I thought that, that, first of all, I thought that Red Queen had promised Alice this was her kill. This was a reason to go and do this whole mission would be to get revenge on Wesker. I don't know how he dies. I can't even see him. He's lying on the ground bleeding. That's all I can tell you. Something comes down. I thought it was a door, but... Yeah, it's the door comes down on him and just traps him and... He's just stuck there for a while because later on, even Alicia says, Oh, just get busy dying already. Is he holding a bomb? Like, what? He lets go of something and it'll blow up? I. Mm. Claire has planted explosives all around the hive with the umbrella people. And it's got one of those remote detonators. And we've seen this, we saw this in Terminator 2. It's like one of those, you hold it for as long as you can, but when you release the trigger, the bombs are going to blow up the entire hive. And so she puts it in Wesker's hand. So when Wesker lets go, he's guaranteed his own death as well as the death of everyone in the hive. And Alicia... So why didn't he just blow them all up when they were given the bomb? And make sure that Alice doesn't... Because he'd be blowing himself up too. Well, he was going to blow up anyway. He was clinging to life. He was asking for medical help. Oh, okay. But Alicia, did she go along with this whole plot? Was she like, <laughs> yeah, let's just kill everybody? And Because she's in cryogenic storage. She seems really pissed that they did it. But she was there and she's... She watched them murder her father with a plastic bag. I don't know where her morals are. No, she didn't see it. She was around the corner. 
She saw it. Don't tell me that. She was at the funeral. She did not see it. She didn't see it happen, but she knows what happened. She came down and they said, oh, we're just having a nice chat. And the next day she goes to her father's funeral. She doesn't figure that out. Come on. Was she down with this whole plague thing? I don't know. Obviously, she's okay with incredibly immoral behavior. She thinks that she's trash. That's why she's put all her hopes on a clone of herself to do the right thing. That's why she keeps saying, no, Prime Alice, you're the one to do the good. And were you guys at all surprised that Alice was a clone of the little girl? No, not once they introduced the character of Elysia. Yeah, they told us that. Well, they didn't tell us Alice was a clone until that moment, so... Well, uh, what I'm saying is, when I knew that Jovovich was sitting in a wheelchair with a gray wig on going, I'm like, okay. I didn't recognize her. I did not recognize her in that chair. I'm talking about in the middle of the movie, in the flashback. I knew from that millisecond of seeing her and hearing that voice that we were watching a clone fight her way into the hot. I didn't catch it from there when they, it wasn't until Isaacs told us all that, that that was the case. But Isaacs is our big boss battle. This fight goes several locations. They go in here in the main room where the control is. Then they go to the laser chamber, which is always a fun return to. And Alice has to dodge some of them and she can dodge a lot. I wondered why he never sent the mincemeat one, though. The one that killed all those people where it was just the completely inescapable laser grid. I don't know why he didn't choose that pattern. That should always be the first one if you're trying to kill somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I just want to say, I don't think she gets more than a four on any of these flips. That just not impressive. I like, though, that he, like, holds her hand there, cuts off her fingers. Ah, fuck. And she allows it to happen because she was using that as a distraction so she could pull a pin out of, was that a grenade that he had in on his side there? Is that a grenade in your pocket or are you just happy to see her? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this is their idea of sacrifice. They keep hedging it. They're like, oh, she's going to give her life to stop the virus. Mm, no, she's going to lose a couple fingertips. Yeah, they say she's going to die with the T-virus. We talked about that a little bit in the plot summary. I don't know why they had to make her think she was going to die and not. Was this like a last-minute rewrite? Like, it really was going to end with the death of Alice, and then Anderson's like, no, killing my wife at the end is just too depressing, so let's completely write that out and have the Red Queen show up and be like, we just needed to know you were willing to die for everyone. If she wasn't, you're going to have the humanity extinct. If your clone is just not good enough, everybody dies. And Isaacs gets the grenade blowing up in his side. It must have been very low powered, but I think that's an effective death. He's there. He's not dead instantly. They get to have a few final words. I'm like, okay, that is a good death for this enemy, except he's not dead. (laughs) I've sensed it the whole movie, so it doesn't feel like they changed an ending. But I sense a lack of commitment and a waffling on what is and isn't true really happening here at the end. That they really would like this to not be the final chapter, is what I believe. That they don't want to kill Alice. They want to give her a happy ending. 
and they don't necessarily want this to stop. So we have this villain that's sort of dead, but comes back to be killed by his clone, who's then conveniently killed by all of the zombies, and that frees Alice from having to kill any person, and directly anyway. I mean, again, I think the only person that she directly killed were the people that were wearing helmets that strung her up on the highway. Other than that, she has always shot, you know, maiming shots. She has never delivered kill shots. And even here, she drops the vial, and we're told, you know, we see a whole wall of bodies fall. She falls too. That is gorgeous. I I just love the wave. At first, I looked like they were all falling to their knees. I Like they were all falling in prayer, but then they all fall on their sides and things. I have loved every shot of the zombie armies here, and that is just, oh, amazing. I'll be kind enough to say, yeah, that's a cool moment. But they waffle on it. And then she wakes up and, oh, no, it didn't kill you. It just cured the T-virus in you. So now you're perfectly fine. And by the way, it did not get to Europe and China and all those places that had minutes or milliseconds to go before it hit zero. That has not spread there yet. So the queen says something about going online and doing something to save them. To which I say, why did they do this at all if she could do that? Where is the Red Queen living now? Isn't the hive destroyed? (laughs) Yeah, they shut her down, but somehow, you know, (laughs) again, nothing that we actually do uh, sticks. Uh, He turned off the computer, but she decided she didn't want to be turned off. You're all going to die down. (laughs) Well, I guess if that is the case, maybe it's because High Command is dead now. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that's what they said. She was able to do something she couldn't do before because command is dead. Right. She says, when Isaacs died, I could bring myself back online and stop the attacks against the remaining human settlements. So it was attacks that were coming. So all she had to do was kill Isaac. She didn't need to spread this antivirus. Correct. The queen did everything. Correct. I was livid. I saw red at that moment. I was so mad. Were they zombie attacks or were they umbrella attacks? It doesn't even matter because at this point we've all been had by Paul W.S. Anderson. W.F.U. Anderson. <laughs> yes. W.T.F. or W. or F.U. I, I don't know, but this is, I yeah, how can you defend us? The whole ending is very infuriating then. Alice does nothing except a very pretty zombie fall. Alice herself doesn't die. She's now implanted with Alicia's childhood memories because I guess the novelizations lied to us because in the novelizations it said Alice remembered her entire life and here we find out she couldn't remember anything before her waking up in that mansion. So when she said, I remember everything, she remembered like the past couple days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's all the same thing, really. (laughs) I remember everything, like what I had for breakfast this morning and going to sleep last night. Everything. Yeah, and keep in mind, all right, so we're told that, you know, the T-virus spread so fast because the umbrella was working to do that. They had planes, and they they went and and gassed areas, and they were trying to do that. But it's going to take a while for the antivirus to do the same thing. Wouldn't you stay put? Wouldn't that mean like, okay, well, then I'm just going to stay in this area where I released it and wait to be sure? No, she's going to get on a bike and go hunting for trouble. She may be fast, but she's not too bright. (laughs) 
That is something I'm like, does she just want to go hunting now? Did she outrun the pace of the antivirus so she could go find dragons to fight? If she got all of her childhood memories, couldn't that bring with it humanity and desire for rebuilding society? She's not setting put and making the first new human settlement with her and Claire and whoever else they can find out. The trinity of bitches. (laughs) Well, one of them's dead. Uh, Alicia. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they were all Alicia in the Trinity. Claire's a hanger-on. But they're not trying to rebuild humanity. She's out riding her bike. Admittedly, all right, look at it from a different perspective. This is the end of the saga. This is the last one. We've enjoyed watching Alice kicking ass. We kind of would like to know that in a future we're never going to see, she just can still kick ass. I agree this much. If we ever get another Resident Evil, it will be a reboot. It won't be in these people's hands. I agree completely. This is the end of Anderson's saga. I do think we'll get another Resident Evil movie. I think it'll be five to seven years before the sting of this one. I think it'll be five to seven years before they do a new one. This weekend box office was abysmal. and I mean, we saw it reflected in our audiences that were pretty damn empty. The video game franchise is more popular than ever. I think it'll come back. But how do you look back on the saga? And do you recommend the final chapter? Justin. It's been a long journey, though, hasn't it? I mean, there's been ups and downs and some more downs. Only one movie got three not recommends, though. True. You know, there's been moments throughout this series where I've asked myself, what are we doing to ourselves here? Why are we watching this? But if I'm going to look at this as an entire series, I might go ahead and call this my favorite of the series. There's nothing so dear to me in these movies that I can't just sit here and enjoy this last installment for what it is. And that's, you know, a fast-paced action movie that actually has a plot that is easy to follow for once. And actually gives us some answers to the questions that we've had for a long time since we started watching this. You know, mainly... Why is Umbrella doing this? What are they hoping to accomplish? Who is Alice and why does she care? Stuff like that. If I'm talking to somebody who's never seen this franchise and coming in clean, I would almost recommend that, you know, watch the first one and the last one because all the stuff in the middle really ends up not meaning anything. So if I'm going to judge it with that in mind, you know, this movie had some good action, if not kind of cruddy editing like we talked about before with that crank style quick cut that made it a little hard to follow there's plot holes and cracks throughout this series and they're prevalent here in this movie as well but in the end i'm fine with some of these answers they gave us i think it's hokey but it's somewhat satisfying what they've done with alice's character making her the red queen alice and alicia that that all you know it it flows. It might not be the most clever thing they've ever done or ever put on film, but I'm going with it and I'm fine with that. I guess what I'm saying is, is it it's mildly entertaining enough for me to go along with what they're putting in front of me here for this almost two hour runtime. And since I've mildly recommended a number of these before, I, I'm going to go out on this series and give this one another mild recommend. But I will say this, if I'm recommending watching these, I might recommend one, maybe three, and this one, and the rest you can just kind of leave in the dustbin. So how would you rank them in order of best to worst? I would probably go this one just because it's probably the prettiest, you know, that and the first one, maybe on even keel. 
And then the third one, I think that was the one that I recognized. I, you know what? I lost <laughs> the thread here in the middle. It was, they needed to number these. We all recommended four. Uh, maybe it was number four. You recommended three as well. Yeah. Three, you stood alone. Four, we all agreed. <laughs> it's like I said, that middle part is like, made my brain like oatmeal. It's like you're Alice having to like look at your past. I work for Umbrella. I hate Umbrella. <laughs> That's what this series has done to me. Nothing in the past matters anymore. <laughs> Stuart. You know, it's comforting to know that this early on into 2017, I've seen the very worst film. It's all uphill from here. I hated this film. I hated this film with a passion. I mean, and I didn't come in that way. I was not a cast out. I was not an unbeliever. Like you said, Arnie, I gave recommends in this series. I accepted it for what it is. And I come to this and ask, is that the best you can do? I mean, that is really the <laughs> so line. So you're going to have to kill them if it is. <laughs> That's really the line that, yeah, Mia keeps saying here that I kept wondering myself. This really is how you want to go out. This really is the way that you wanted to wrap it all up. I think it, it beyond the continuity problems, the enormous continuity problems that they open up here, I don't even think that I can enjoy what should be the best looking movie in the series. It does have gorgeous imagery that that you cannot see that is abstracted by absolutely amateurish editing. There's just nothing here to like. This is my least favorite in this series. If I'm going to rank them, I would say the only ones you really need to mess with. If you think you don't want to see the series, you're probably right. But if you're in the mood for silly fun, one and four are the way to go. Those are the two that I would say, yeah, you'll enjoy them for what they are. Beyond that, don't touch this series. But if I'm ranking one, four, huge chasm, and then five, three, two, six. At least we're all very different in our rankings of the series. I'm giving this a real solid recommend. I enjoyed this movie for its action and the second half of it, when Umbrella's plot is revealed and Alice is a clone, all those twists and turns, I like it. I like where it went. I think the first half of this film is visually stunning and a little, a lot dumb. But once we get past that tower and they're entering the hive, this movie takes off. It's my second favorite of the series. Number one is still the best. It was in isolation. It didn't get a little overcomplicated with clone plots. It had some twists and turns. So one is the best. Six is a close second. Then four. Then two. I recommended it, but I'm not feeling good about that recommendation. And then huge chasm. And then three. And then five. I'm on the other side of that chasm, apparently, with my recommendation of three. I'm going to have to go back and listen to myself and figure out what the hell was going on that week. <laughs> I'll say this much about it. I thought it wasn't going to be as horrible as it ended up being. It started off being a pretty good Mad Max ripoff, but by the end of it, I was really, really hating it. Are you talking about three or six? Because both of them do. Three. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Six I never got on board with. And honestly, Arnie, hearing you say these things, I don't want to hear a word when we get back to Transformers about rolling out. <laughs> Not one word about busyness from you. I don't want to hear one more thing about how this didn't make sense and you didn't like the continuity. 
Here's why this series is better than Transformers to me. You ready? Okay, you have my full attention. Because I can see these fights and I know who I'm rooting for. Every time two robots that I can't tell apart start pummeling each other in Transformers, I'm checked out. I have nothing to hold on to Transformers except the plots. All right, clones over robots. That's your position. Yeah, well, I can tell clones apart, strangely. I can't tell robots apart. So (laughs) that's why I need a little bit more. Well, thank you for clarifying. Yes, that does help to understand how you could hate one series so much and then endorse another for that's afflicted with just the same illness. I couldn't see these fights. I honestly couldn't tell what was going on in this movie. Yeah, I can go with really stupid action films and enjoy them for the action, as long as the action's good. And I think W.S. Anderson has always delivered good action in his video game adaptation movies. Until this movie. I think this was good. I think it was better than five. But I can't abide what Michael Bay has done with his action, so... Yeah, that's the difference. But we, I don't know, we're going to get back to it. Let's talk a little bit about what Now Playing has coming up. Because for listeners who haven't heard, we've got quite a bit. We're going right into another weekend of release series, a two-parter. Justin, you're going to be joining Jacob and I for John Wick. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I haven't seen the uh, original yet, so I'm looking forward to getting into that series. It's got uh, the same uh, actress. Abigail is... Ruby Rose. Yeah. Then we're going to get hardcore into David Lynch. We're going to be back here doing Blue Velvet. But more importantly, we're going to be at nowpeaking.com covering Twin Peaks every episode, about one per day, starting Friday, February 24th. Which was the day that Laura Palmer died in the show. We're actually, the neat thing that I love about the way that this series is going to unfold, people have been asking, oh, I need to to bone up and watch the whole series before we get started. No, you can join us. It's just a little commitment every day. Cooper will endorse this. Give yourself a little present every day. We're going to be a little present every day. Every episode of the show was a day in the life of the town of Twin Peaks. Every day we'll be releasing a different episodes for 32 days. There'll be a Twin Peaks show out, and then we'll get back here on the main feed with Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Yes, this is going to be a donation drive kind of outside of the norm of our usual donation drives. It's going to be its own separate show and its own separate feed. You'll hear the pilot review for free on this feed and the other but at nowpeakingpodcast.com or nowpeaking.com, I grabbed them both, you can get all the other episodes, just 99 cents an episode, and we're looking at 40-plus episodes, maybe 46 episodes. Showtime hasn't completely revealed what they're doing. We're going to be covering the Showtime series this summer. If you get a season pass, you're going to get every Twin Peaks episode for $29.99. So that's much less than a dollar an episode. That's a really good deal, actually. I'm just going to say right there, that's the way to go. Yeah, and I mean, you're not just going to want to hear us discuss episode three. I mean, you may not want to hear some of season two so much, but these are long shows, too. I've been editing them. They're 40, 50 minutes per show. 
Yeah, we're trying to keep them succinct. I mean, that is the goal. And we may actually have much shorter shows after they solve Who Killed Laura Palmer. I know the show, the interest in that show for everyone, including myself, did wane. But I never gave up. I was always a fan. And I'm excited to go through all of the episodes. We're doing all of that at Now Peaking. And in the meantime, over here, we will be doing other things like Logan. And we'll get back to Stephen King with Silver Bullet and do some more Lynch with Wild at Heart and its sequel. Yes, it had one called Dance with the Devil. Kind of a sequel, yes. Lynch didn't do it. It didn't was it a reteaming of this crew. And for those wondering how now peaking is going to influence the spring donation series, we're only gonna do one new series. We know that by opening up the vaults, you guys have gone in there and gotten a lot of shows that you missed before. There's now peaking, which is gonna be a new release. We don't want to overtax you we're just going to do a silver ten dollar donation series pirates of the caribbean justin you're back with us for that too yo ho ho or are you with us for pirates of the caribbean yeah we're gonna have to figure that one out that's gonna be our new mia mila milia <laughs> conundrum yeah i need to know i need to know right up front what is the word is it billy ocean caribbean queen or is it caribbean <laughs> i thought that was caribou queen no. That's a coffee place. <laughs> you know me, sex, toys, swigger, hotels, and coffee. <laughs> After you finish the caribou coffee, it's off to Sybaris. <laughs> but we will have, for people who wanted to catch up and maybe maybe save a little, and for anyone who's donated before, we will do a gold-level re-release of Alien. And then a platinum level re-release of planet of the apes because we got a new alien movie we're going to be doing a new planet of the apes movie we're going to be doing you'll be able to get those episodes individually on podbean but we've heard you guys we're listening to the listeners a lot right now with the opening of the vaults what do you like what do you not like keep that feedback coming we're doing everything we can but i've heard from a lot of people either they can't do the credit card processing of Podbean or something. They want to get the donation drive as it was before. So there's going to be two methods. You can get all these episodes from Podbean per episode and pick which ones you want. You only want to hear us talk about Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tide? You can do that at Podbean. If you want the whole series, we're still going to keep the classic method done too, and it's going to save you a little money by doing a bundle that way. Yeah, and I think it's good to be grandfathered in that way too. If you were one of the people that donated for Alien back in 2012, you don't need to spend any more money. You're going to get that new Alien review. Alien Covenant is just going to magically come to you because of what you did back then. So I always think it's better to, if you can, if you're able... I always think it's better to buy into a franchise. And truthfully, the same with Pirates of the Caribbean. If you go the classic method, you'll get it directly from us, and you're going to be grandfathered in if they ever make let Johnny Depp make another movie. <laughs> it's not looking so good for him. But I have not even seen him in the trailers for this new movie. <laughs> if you go through Podbean, we have no control over that. We have no insight into that, but you'll be able to get the future installments there just for the extra donation of one episode so we're trying to open all the options up we're going through a lot of work on our end behind the scenes to make this happen for you and keep the feedback coming but that's what's going on it'll be pirates of the caribbean three bucks an episode on podbean or ten dollars for the series through us alien it's four bucks an episode through podbean or 25 dollars for alien and pirates through us and planet of the apes $3 an episode on Podbean or $40 because there's 
nine Planet of the Apes films. So for $40, you get all nine Planet of the Apes films, all six Alien films, and all five Pirates films. A lot of options, a lot of podcasts, a lot of shows I'm glad people are finally going to have the opportunity to hear. Because I, I must admit, there are some that are in there that are some of my favorite. And when the vault sealed and people couldn't get them, it did make me a little sad. I'm glad that we've decided to do this, and I'm glad people are responding and, and joining us. I, it should be a very exciting summer. Even if you can't make any donation, we still love you. We're going to have shows all summer long. Lots of new releases. We got Wonder Woman. We got Transformers, Spider-Man, Dunkirk, Dark Tower, Annabelle. Yep, yeah, lots of things coming for you, and I'm excited. And all these details, there's an article at the Venganza Media Gazette about the spring donation drive, and for now peaking, we'll talk about it on this show, but go ahead. You can follow us on Twitter as Now Peaking. We've got a Facebook page set up that we're sharing to the Now Playing page, and you can go to the Podbean page, go to nowpeakingpodcast.com. You can follow us there, and these episodes are going to start pretty soon. So Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. Listeners, thank you for playing six levels with us of the Resident Evil. And now it's finally game over. dreams there would be this many of us left alive so what's next i say live up to the promise this is arcadia broadcasting on the emergency frequency there is no infection repeat there is no infection we offer safety and security food and shelter if you are out there we will help you there is hope Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Resident Evil Retrospective Series. When I get out of here, I think I'm going to get laid. Yeah, <laughs> might want to clean up a little bit first. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. I'm missing you already. Would you like to continue? Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next week to hear another Resident Evil movie review. One way or another, our world is coming to an end. The question is... Will we end with it? And visit the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives for reviews of other films, including Blade, Hellboy, The Shining, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. I've been a bad, bad girl. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. For so long, I thought you were the future. I was wrong. I am the future. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Good thing we like a challenge. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums, where you and the other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The links to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. I told you I'd be bringing a few friends. You should have brought more. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I always knew you'd be 
drawn to your friends? Insert coins to keep playing. Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. I didn't think any of you would make it this far. Not without infection. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Everyone is grateful for you helping us out. We really are grateful. You can also support our show and get dozens of bonus movie reviews. But I can offer you something you want very much. What is that? For Now Playing's 10th anniversary, we have opened the vaults. And at our Podbean page, you can donate and get archived movie reviews, including the Night of the Living Dead series, Alien, Return of the Living Dead, Jaws, The Exorcist, Jurassic Park, and more. We're reopening the hive. Links to all these reviews can be found in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives section. Humanity will cease to exist unless you return to the hive. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. We're going to need more ammo. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm going to kill you. Perhaps. But first you have work to do. Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I can't remember much before all this started. Sometimes I feel like this has been my whole life. Now Playing's Resident Evil series is edited by David, Heath, and Arnie. I don't want to be one of those things walking around without a soul. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. This is what I do. The Resident Evil films and all movie audio and music are the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Hey boys, bad idea. The opinions expressed at Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I have no reason to believe a word you say. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I want her quarantined, close observation, and a full series of blood tests. Let's see if she's infected. Take her to the Raccoon City facility. And assemble the team. I want to know what went on down there. Just do it. Stars. Strangely, I have like 18 pages of Twin Peaks notes up. Because I haven't <laughs> used this computer since. <laughs> Stars. Yeah, but I'm gonna have to edit all that out if it continues. You know, we get a release. I, I need to edit fast, so yeah, that's why I'm overly anal about sound issues during these. All right. I don't want to curse anything, but I actually, in my heart of hearts, believe this could be the recorded, the shortest weekend of release recording ever. All right, I'm gonna be muted a lot so we don't get all that background noise. Okay, appreciate that. The only key is to remember to unmute when you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> At the end, I'll give Which you a couple Which means don't put the mute insert. on. Don't put the mute on. <laughs> no, there. seriously, I mute, and then when I'm about to laugh, I unmute, and then I mute again. Yeah, I usually do that, too.
You're going to be laughing through this entire shamble. Oh, that is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going exp- We'll go into it. All right. <clears throat> Let's just not even go into it. This movie sucks a dog's dick. I'm recommending this fucker. Absolutely. You are not. I am. You are not going to do that. Yes, I, I, I like this movie. I like it. <laughs> Oh my fucking god. Alright, let's get into it. <laughs> Stars. And Claire's boyfriend Doc, played by Ian McKellen. Not Ian McKellen. <laughs> now that would have been interesting. <laughs> You're right, she didn't have much pick. No, it's some guy on a doctor show. Of course, you know, last time they're like, we need a prisoner. Let's get the guy from prison break. Now we have the guy from the night shift. Uh, hospital show i don't care what his name is i think they call him doc <laughs> yeah he is he's doc ian mackin oh God. doc is it ian mackin thank you Stars. and in his original script for part two that anderson used his daughter's likeness to create the red queen it was supposed to be the red queen incarnate what was what was it ashford that's what and then what i said anderson all right in I mean, part- Anderson did use his daughter, but that's that's in casting. The character Ashford. We're told this Red Queen. Stars. Wait, 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 wait. There's swingers hotels called Sybaris. Is that what you're saying? Sybaris. Sybaris. That's way too close to syphilis. Like <laughs> it is in every way. Stars. Hey. It's closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Stars. 